Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, before we get to Sean Adams, let me tell you about Missions Resource Network. There's a ministry that has followed God's particular leading the last year or two to focus on working with others to care for and share the gospel with displaced Muslims around the Mediterranean Rim. This ministry has cast vision and developed collaborative strategies among churches and missionaries for the exciting opportunities God has created. This ministry is Missions Resource Network. If you don't know them, their work is to help disciples make disciples worldwide, and they do this through working with churches and missionaries globally. For more information, go to their website, mrnet.org. Now, on to the show. Uh, We've got Sean Adams back again. Uh, Sean is a buddy of mine. We're part of the same church. He is... uh, I guess his day job is working as the uh, ESPN morning guy for the Austin affiliate, and uh, he's far more than just the ESPN sports guy. He's got a lot going on. He's got an MBA from Georgetown. He's smart. And, um, yeah, so we talk a little bit about Charlottesville and other stuff. So here we go. Ready to use a microphone? What? Has it been a while since you used a microphone? Oh, uh, yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah, 20 <laughs> minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, friends. Welcome back to the show today. We've got uh, returning for like the third time. Third Seth? time. Third time. Sean Adams. Welcome back, man. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Hey, I'm, I'm happy because we got a lot of stuff going on in our country, but we are close to football season, and that helps me. It is. It, it is a good time for you. You know, I'm, uh, I, I don't like to talk to you about sports because it's like your day job. But, you know, it is right around the corner. Can I be honest? Like, there is a... Did you see the people thinking about protesting, not watching the NFL? Right. Because of Kaepernick? Yeah. I thought about that for a second. I was like, I just can't do it. Like, I, I respect that people have a cause, but man. Yeah, I didn't think about it for a second. <laughs> not only would it, would it be bad for my occupation. <laughs> no, it's a... Um, there is... I have a tremendous amount of respect, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the cause that was originated with Colin Kaepernick. I, I do think, and because Colin Kaepernick's not talking about it a lot, he's doing a lot. If you know where he's dedicating his money, the million man, a million dollar pledge and stuff like that, he's doing a lot, but he's not talking a lot, which is, I, yeah. is almost refreshing in some ways that he's just not flapping his gums. He's actually really doing some stuff. But uh, I think be, one of the byproducts of him not talking a lot is that a lot of people have taken a banner and moved on their own. And the original place where he started his protest the disjointed relationship in a lot of cities between the people that are charged to protect and serve and its citizens uh i think that that's gotten lost a little bit ah but kudos to some of the players that have tried to carry the banner and Mm -hmm. uh the players that have supported them what did you think of the um what was his name uh long the the philadelphia chris long you put his hand on the uh, shoulder of uh the safety whatever his name was i forgot yeah malcolm jenkins okay so yeah, part of that is solidarity and a brotherhood that comes in a football locker room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's sometimes the unaffected have to stand up for the ill-affected, mm-hmm. and that's when the change starts to happen. So um, I like the way that he did it. He says, I'm going to stand. I'm going to have my hand over my heart, but I am going to support you with my open hand. Yeah. And Nate Boyer, <clears throat> former Texas player, um, oh, the guy who was the, the, the vet, right? The Green, the green yeah. Beret. Yeah. yeah. He went to 
San Francisco and was next to Cap last year. That's right. Because he understood the issues. He came on my radio show and talked about it. Um, he understood the issue. He said, I'm a Green Beret. I believe in that flag. I will never, ever kneel down on that flag. But I respect the fact that you do do that. Hmm. And I support your cause. So I'm going to stand next to you with my hand over my heart. And I'm going to respect the flag the way I respect it. But I'm going to stand next to you because I support your cause. Yeah. And the problem is we become a, a all in or all out society. We yep. really don't have a we don't have a tolerance for anybody that's different than us. And I think it's pathetic, to be honest with you. But it's me last year during the debates. And Donald Trump would say something. I I'd tweet. Oh, that's a good point by Trump. And the other side would come and spew hatred all day long. Mm -hmm. And 10 minutes later, I'd say, ah, good point by Hillary. And then the other side would come at me because we can't have our own mindset and agree and with two different sides on two different issues. Yeah. Because people have decided you got to be all or nothing. Yeah. And I think the people in the middle, the people that can see both sides and the people that try to just look at facts on certain issue by issue basis, I think those are the people that actually want to govern. And I think those are the people that are, are not being valued right now. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think we've bought into the, the partisan lie that right. it's, it's us versus them instead of what about all of us? Like, let's work towards the best thing together and not get caught in the binary stuff of us versus them. I, I mean, I heard, I heard one, I won't even say what year it was, so we don't know who I'm talking about, but it was, uh, I heard one legislator say, where our whole goal over the next two years is to make sure that he's not in the White House anymore. And I thought, what a sad notion. Um, Your whole goal over the next two years should be to try to work as hard as you can to still govern the way that people need you to and worry about the election when you worry about the election. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. Self-interest is a very powerful thing, and it mot motivates people in every profession, including politics. We're... To work for your own best interest is not always the best interest of your delegation and the people that you're representing. For sure. And that's the, the, that's the struggle. I mean, I, I think everyone has a struggle about their, their profession, and that's obviously the world of politics. And it's the thing you, I try to do with my kids. My kids have tons of questions about this stuff, and I'm always telling them, look, the way you make decisions aren't always about you. Yeah. And the way it works for you, what might be best for you. There are certain laws and certain policy and procedure and even tax law that might be advantageous for me. But I don't know if for the collective group of Americans, for the last of lost and the least of these that need it most, I don't know if that's best for them. Yeah. So I think I have to vote in a collection of what might be best for the people that need it most. In the end, don't mean this in a bad way. I'm going to be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to figure it out. I'll yeah. be all right. But I, I do worry about those that, and let's be honest, I worry about young people because I don't think. Why kids, young people? Kids don't get to choose what condition they're born to. If their parents are, oh, yeah, I yeah. was born in a horrible neighborhood, but I was born to fantastic parents who stressed faith. They stressed discipline. They stressed education. They civil rights workers. So they stressed me standing up for myself, but they stressed the right stuff. That's why I always say I could have been born next door. One, one side was drug dealers and one side was drug users, but both sides ended up in prison a whole lot. Mm. And if I had been born in one of those families, I probably would have told that line. So I'm always worried about the young people who can't control the environment they're born to. They can't control the schools they go to. They can't control whether they get proper nutrition every day. I'm always worried about them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Charlottesville. So two, two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, I call you up on Saturday and I said, dude, I've got to say something tomorrow at church. 
And uh, I said, hey, this is what I'm thinking about saying. And uh, basically, I want to say, this is not right. This is sin. We call it, this is anti-Christ. This is not what Jesus is about. Unfortunately, Jesus has been sucked into this and acted as though Jesus supports white supremacy, which is just ridiculous. And so I want to say something. And, uh, By so the way, Jesus wasn't white, but go ahead. I know. Like, he, he <laughs> probably had a lot of African ancestors. I know there's a lot of blonde-haired, blue-eyed pictures of Jesus on the walls, but yeah, don't believe the hype. Go no, ahead. no. I, I like to think he's brunette, but, you know, <laughs> I got some. I like to think his hair's like mine. Side note, like, why is it that every white supremacist has my hair cut? Like, that really bothers me. I'm I like, won't lie. They really do. They do. I mean... Like, you think of the people who've been like, this is about, like, obviously people of color and Jewish people and then, like, veterans who fought against the Nazis. But, like, at the very bottom of that list is, like, people with my haircut. You're like, man, I got sucked into this for my hair. That's not even, that's not right. So they're all uh, millennials. I I always think you look great. I always think you look like you're (laughs) on your way to an F1 race. (laughs) You know, in Austin, when they have the Coda, they have the big Coda race, all the foreigners come in and... You know, you find a guy from France. He's got on white jeans with Velcro shoes. That's why I always think you always fit in November. <laughs> Is that wrong? That's it. Because usually I, I'm coming up, parking, getting out of my truck, going, to, and people are like, "Hey, uh, where are your tickets? You're going to the race?" And I'm like, right. "No, no, no. I'm Do actually, you want to catch the shuttle to F1." Yeah, I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just going to preach. These are my <laughs> preaching clothes. So thank you, thank you for that." Um, you know, I remember you, you told me that uh, your kids like the way I dress, and so they do. Yeah, so thank you. They don't think I'm very hip, but they don't like anything I do. Did they see that the Eminem hat you're wearing right now with the little short bill? Yeah, it's a Kango, man. Yeah, Eminem wears those. I know, because they're beautiful hats. It's, it is. I, don't, I would probably be made fun of if I wore that. Yeah, you can't rock everything. It's weird. <laughs> I can't rock everything either. No, uh, my body don't let me rock everything now. Okay. Hey, no, the, um, the, the, the deal with Charlottesville to me was a... Um, hey, give me, the, give me the quote that I ripped off from you. And people are like, hey, that's a great quote. I'm like, hey, thank you. I came up myself. But the line about uh, an, uncontru- uh, an unconfronted... Lie becomes the truth. Right. Or, what is the you, line? You fixed it. No, the, an, an unconfronted lie becomes the truth. You have to, um, if I looked at my kid, when my kid was three years old or two years old or one years old, whenever they learn their colors and stuff, if I look at a beige wall and told my son, this is black, he's going to believe that. Yeah. And he's going to believe that unless somebody confronts him and says, that's not true. So sometimes when... If nobody confronts the issue, people tend to believe it. It's like when you're really, really thirsty for something. And, and look, there's a reason. It, there's, it's very easy to calculate people that join some of these fringe organizations. Most of them are disassociated people. They're kind of loners. People look for them when they're recruiting them on campus. People that have been teased, outsiders, yep. may not fit in. Uh, it was an absolutely horrible movie, but it was profiled this piece very well, a movie called Higher Learning by John Singleton, where Michael Rappaport plays a kid from Idaho at this university filmed at USC that he was kind of out of his wheelhouse. He couldn't hang out over here. He didn't fit in here. He went to a frat party and people teased him because he dressed like he was from Idaho. Mm. And before long, kid had his head shaved and he was with the skinheads because that's where he fit. And they had talked him into coming. So um, I think sometimes we have to just stand up against it. And that's, that's always been me, uh, my disappointment, I guess. The, you know, it's, more, it's MLK. In this age, we won't only have to repent for the uh, bad actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Yeah. And some people don't know what to say. Some people don't know where to stand up. Some people don't know how to stand up. 
but uh, they've been able to go loud a long time and there's not a whole lot of people objecting to them in some ways. Yeah. What do you think the church should be doing? Uh, so you, you're part of a church that majority is white and it would be very easy to fall into the sin that Dr. King talked about, the sin of the moderate white church is just silence. What do you think, what do you want your kids to hear? What do you want your son and your daughter to, to be hearing from church about this issue? Honestly, it's not even hard. It's sin. And there's nothing that was going on in those protests. Um, by the way, if you really want the statues, it's win the war. <laughs> Winners get celebrated. I've never seen a group like the Confederates and these Deep South people that want to celebrate losing as much as they do. Atlanta lost the Super Bowl last year. The, the, their equivalent is Atlanta going back home, handing out rings and putting up trophies because they got second place. Or like a Buffalo Bills, like back to back to back to back. Right. Sure, like loser. Like we went back to back to back to back loser. That's right. That's never happened before. That, you could get a t-shirt so You're, for you're that. trying to celebrate losing. Uh, winners get statues. I have a problem if a lot of people get statues. But I think in a lot of ways, I want my kids to, there's an honesty that's there that says it's wrong. There's not anything that was being said on any of those sides um, talking about whether it's Nazis, another group that lost. Amazing. But there's nothing that's said there that has anything to do with Christ. And it just goes back to I was in a class at UT last year and somebody brought up the Bible. And my first answer was there's no way you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and treat people the way we treat people in this country under the guise of Christianity. No way. So call a spade a spade. Call, call sin, sin. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what it is. But you don't, you not only can you call it out, I think you have to act. Yeah. That's the thing, the acting, because it'd be easy for me to make jokes about, Oh, Confederates and, and Nazis and blah, blah, blah. And to act as though racism is just something people do, you know, in protests, underneath the Nazi flag, wearing the KKK stuff with tiki torches they bought at, at Home Depot, wearing khaki pants and a white t-shirt. And had those poor tiki people releasing statements on their website. Did they really? We do not condone, dude, you just got a torch, stop. It's a tiki torch. Okay, but it'd be easy for me to think, well, that's just something they do over there. And I don't deal with the issues that I have, like my own biases and my own commitments for my self-interest at the detriment of other people. And I feel like that's the biggest fear of what happened at Charlottesville is because it gives you such an extreme example of what the sin of prejudice looks like that you go, well, that's not me. I'm not that bad. So you can disassociate with it. Yeah. yeah. But the thing you have to do is be reflective. What am I doing? Who am I building up? Who am I encouraging? Am I guilty of any of it? But again, it's an all in or all out. I would never be them. So since you're not them, you tend to think you're okay. It's like, it's like, it's like if you grew up in a family where your parents had a horrible relationship and the, the relationship was terrible. They were abusive to each other. They were abusive to the kids. It was a horrible home situation. You get 25, you get married, and your relationship is not as bad as that. So you say, I'm doing great. I'm doing good, yeah. I'm doing great. My relationship is better than my parents. Yeah. Can't stop there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the heart of what good religion, good spirituality does, is that it gives you something to keep pushing towards instead of just comparing yourself to 
to the worst examples out there and go, oh, well, I, I feel better about myself because of that. I, I feel like the constant development and maturation, I think, is the best spirituality has to offer in a time like this. But it, Part of it, Luke, is listening. We, we don't listen very well. It, it's, it's why I like to use sports. Um, the reason why teams play well is when they play for each other. Yeah. Um, you know, I have teams that play for a great coach win. Teams that play for a great fan base win. Teams that play for each other. That's why players need to get to know each other. Hmm. University of Texas right now, they've been at the facility so much, they just bought a bunch of air mattresses. Guys are staying the night there during camp. They were doing all kinds of stuff. That kind of camaraderie works. Hmm. Because when you have camaraderie, I know what he's been through to be here. I know his academic struggles. I know his struggles at home. I know all that. I know what he's been through to be here. We've been working in the mud for a long time together. I'm not going to let him down. Okay. So we don't have enough of that. So I, I used to tease, you know, you always get some black or brown churches to have a chicken lunch with a white church. And I would always kind of laugh at that. But that wouldn't be a bad idea. People need to get to know. Now, you have to get to know, but you honestly have to listen. We don't listen very well. Yeah. It's like people want to tell me how I should feel about racism. And I don't get you. That's the equivalent of me. If a woman tells me, man, it is hard working at my company. I work with all men and I just got made vice president. That'd be equivalent of me going back to her and saying, yeah, but you just need to look at it this way and you need to deal with it this way. And as a woman, you shouldn't trip on that. Yeah. If I'm not a woman and I don't know, maybe I should shut up and just listen and try to gain some knowledge from what she's dealing with and give me a perspective and how I treat other people. Yeah. Okay, so obviously the white church needs to listen to the experience of the black woman, the black man, the person of color, and to go, okay, what is this like for you? How are you hearing this? What are you understanding? When you hear like the terrible stuff by the neo-Nazis or whatever that group wants to be called, do you go, do I need to listen to what you're saying? Do I need to understand really where you're coming from? Do you think? Okay, here, here's the deal. And here's something that I've tried to balance. And who knows? I don't, I don't know if I'm a good dad. My son got in a fight at church camp. Um, <laughs> I think one thing that I think. Did he really? Me, yes, he did. How come, I didn't hear about that. Oh, yeah. I got a phone call. Just, hey, uh, we like to talk to you about an altercation. Did, was it Christian or Andrew called you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't hear this in but, staff uh, meeting. It was years and years ago. Oh, okay. That's no, it was I years and years and years <laughs> okay. ago. Okay. Yeah, you might not be the best dad, but you know, whatever. But You're doing the no, best. One of the things I've tried to do, and it sounds really bad. It sounds horrible to say some people don't matter, but some people don't. If I don't, if I don't have value in a relationship with you, I can't let your opinion of me determine my value for myself. Mm-hmm. So it sounds really harsh. Now, mind you, the other side of that coin is there's a lot of it's, it's one of the reasons why I've never had a problem with Black Lives Matter. I'm, I've never been to a rally. I've never had a T-shirt, mm-hmm. but I've never had a problem with it because there's a lot of black folks walking around and feel like they don't matter. Yeah. And I have no problem whatsoever when people try to say, well, all lives matter. It's very different because it's OK. The Bill of Rights was meant to codify the most important parts of the Constitution, not to marginalize the other ones. So I have no problem with somebody trying to codify the moment that black lives do matter because it doesn't have to diminish that other lives matter. 
by pointing out the fact that there's some folks that feel like they don't matter. Did you hear Hannibal Burris joke about that? No. It's like the people who say all lives matter are like the people who go by a funeral and go, hey, other people are dead too. Other people are dead too, right? <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. But it, codifying the moment, this is an experience that some feel. Right. Some and and I, got no, yeah. I got no problem with it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've always tried to tell my kids, hey, look, use your faith as your filter. Mm-hmm. You are faithful before you are a male. You are faithful before you're an athlete. You are faithful before you're black. You are faithful. So if you use that filter, problem is, I don't think many folks in America do that. No. I think people are American before they're Christian. They're capitalists before they're Christian. They're in the top 1% of earners before they're Christian. And somewhere along in there, I'll pull out my Christian card on Sunday morning when I sit on my pew. Come on now. That's my sermon series for the fall. That's it right there. I'm just going to have you <laughs> preach it for me. Okay, you just said a second ago that you, you didn't march. You didn't go to uh, any of the marches, Black Lives Matter march. I haven't. But my nephew, my, my, now my nephew organized one. He's a, he just finished his freshman year in college, starting his sophomore year. And he, is, um, he organized one, had one. He called and talked to me about it. And I did. The only thing I've ever said is any protest without action is moot. Yeah. It, it, I fear sometimes because I've seen it. Some folks in some communities, this is not just isolated to black folks. This could be the Clay Hills of West Virginia's and the coal miners. Yeah. But um, I fear that without the proper action, you'll end up protesting 30 years from now the same stuff you're protesting now. At some point, what are you doing in the background to fix this? Yeah. My parents were civil rights workers. My parents were protesters. What they were doing in the background to fix it in their mind was forcing education, graduate school, all three kids, um, make a life of your own, pushing personal responsibility, pushing faith, pushing work ethic, pushing to put down general, general generational curses that have kind of plagued some communities, mm-hmm. um, making good decisions, uh, looking beyond the neighborhood you grow up in. So they, they, on the background, they were working all these things while they were marching. But if you don't do that stuff on the background, I fear sometimes that the protests, at some point, you're a screaming coach. Hmm. And I've had coaches that were screamers, and at some point, you just tune them out. Yeah. It becomes a white noise. So uh, you just told me a second ago that your dad never let you have a dog at home. Right. Because of his experience, civil rights, dogs being sicked on him. So he's doing the, he's marching, he's involved. But then eventually he backs out because he thinks this isn't, isn't going to get us where we need to go. Right. And I think a lot of it, I don't know that he, he didn't back out of the movement. I think he backed out of being so active in the movement because at some point he had three kids. I'm the youngest of three. My brother's seven years older than me. My sister's three years older than me. And on some level, the kids needed to be the concentration. And he thought in his own head, we're going to attack this educationally. And see if we can make some changes from the inside. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my mind, I, I've always think, I, I think education is the key. It's, it's one of the places where I think teachers should get paid a lot more. I think there should be a lot more accountability in schools. But I think teachers should get paid a lot more. You want the best and the brightest. I ran into too many people that started with me in business school at ACU and didn't do well in stats or financial accounting. I was like, man, I think I'm just going to teach and coach. I don't know if that's what you want all the time in teaching is somebody that falls back to it. But I believe that education is everything. And I think that is one of the places 
where America's gotten it wrong. Because mm-hmm. if you if you really want to give if you want to stand on your soapbox and say, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, education is the boots. Yeah. And if you got kids that get a marginalized education, again, because they can't control where they're born mm-hmm. or the kind of jobs their parents have or the access they have to great education, then I don't know that you can honestly look people in the face and say, do it yourself if you haven't given them the means to do it. Yeah. Okay. So I want you to imagine you put yourself in my shoes yeah. and put probably a little small on yours, but you get your hair comb like mine, Sunday morning, you get up, you preach. What are you telling the church on how the church should respond to this? If you see the way to make change is education, the church needs to have a voice for this. Is it in that, like, is it in pushing for education? Is it doing something else? What, what do you think the church should be doing at her best to deal with the experience of a person of color in America these days? Uh, I think in the end, it's about support. And like, when you got great churches like here that... I'm sorry, could you say that again? They're trying to contribute to the education and the maturation and growth of young people. Mm-hmm. And it's about school supplies and it's about backpacks and it's about support. And I've told you part of my life story is born in church mm-hmm. because I'll say it like this. You know what I do now? I speak, I do TV, I do radio, I do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the places churches have gotten it wrong, I'll say this, professionalized everything. Hmm. My first time standing in front of a group to speak was on a Wednesday night after Wednesday night Bible class. And they all come in for the little devotional. Hmm. And one one person in the youth group would lead singing like three songs off key like crazy. And then somebody like me would get up and stumble through three minutes or something. Their dad helped them work on a Bible verse. But that was the first time I ever stood in front of a group. The second time I stood in front of a group was probably leading singing on a Sunday night, doing a little hand wave that my dad taught me. All those things, born in the church, that kind of stuff has gone away. I don't think that's a good thing. We professionalized everything. Hmm. But um, in a lot of ways, my parents made a conscious decision because I didn't have a lot of versatility in my life. All black schools, all black church, all black neighborhood. My parents decided when I was young to pick up only lever they had. We yep. started going across town to a white. It was Church of Christ because my parents couldn't change because they didn't want to go to hell. True church. But, <laughs> but we picked up <laughs> and went across town. But my parents were intent on us being us, but being able to handle ourselves in every situation, not being uncomfortable. I see it all the time. You get on these football campuses and you get around football players, the guy that's pounding his chest and just going crazy. And he's a leader on his team. He's the alpha male. He's got tattoos on his neck. Mm-hmm. Everybody is listening to him. He's the man in that environment. If you put him in a room with 20 guys, 20 white guys in suits, he won't even look most of them in the eye. Mm-hmm. We haven't figured out how to transfer confidence. So think about that for a second. You're the alpha male in front of 100,000 people and you are talking about the people that are here and you waving in everybody's face and you are telling everybody what's up. Change their environment one single bit. Put them in a room with 20 white guys with Brooks Brothers suits on and they will barely look them in the eye. Wow. Think about that. That's, that's crazy. But I get it. If you don't have the experience, yeah. We have to figure out 
how to empower young people. Hmm. We've done a great job at, at trying to empower them in, in small ways. Mm-hmm. But we've got to build solid people. I'm not sure. We're, and I don't know how, how much better it gets. Mm-hmm. Because it can't, it can't just be parents. It can't just be churches. What are they learning? Are they getting coddled? What, tough conversations. My kids don't grow up in a tough neighborhood. No. So the statistics seem to show that the overwhelming uh, evangelical church voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen stats as high as in 80% mm-hmm. say that, and there's debates over exactly who is that evangelical Christian. How, are they coming to church like once a year? Who is it? I don't right. know. That's a debatable subject. Uh, in the uh, African-American community, the voting for Trump was almost like 0%, right. basically. Um, and so when a person of color is in a church that's predominantly white, probably voted differently from them. Uh, Many people have connected this presidency with varying degrees of racism, whether that's accurate or not, I'm not debating that. But when a person of color is in a church that predominantly voted for someone that has caused many to feel like is encouraging and supporting racist behavior to one degree or another, Mm -hmm. how does that make someone of color feel, you think? Extremely hard. Um, And I... I exist on a bunch of different fronts. I live in a neighborhood where I know all the black people. I'll just say it like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know every single black person in my neighborhood, and I can count the families on one hand. Ten? Um, it's a struggle for me. Um, and if you look at the stats, you also know that people, black and brown people, are walking away from evangelical churches as well because of numbers like that and because of a feeling of abandonment. And look, here's the thing that's that's real for me. I love social media for this reason. I have figured out through social media because usually you just saw people at church and at work and at school and everybody smiles in your face. Social media has allowed me to figure out, wow, I go to church with that dude, really racist. Wow, I went to school with him, really racist. Wow, I dated his sister. Really racist. Hmm. So it's allowed all that. But the other thing I think the current administration has done, it has made people pick a side. As sad as that is, I think it's an eye opener for a lot of people. And there was a lot of people, and I'm thinking of one person in particular right now, that was one of the people of color who used to always tell me, Man, racism is dead, man. Why are you still worried about that stuff? We're doing this. We're doing this. Obama's the president now. Racism is dead. It's guys like that that are now telling me, man, I was wrong about that. There's an education that comes with it. And we just all have to learn to do better. Mm -hmm. I have fantastic friends. I I know you're my pulpit minister, but I consider you a friend. Mm -hmm. So I have fantastic friends in every shade, you name it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in most cases, we also have to learn to look at people as individuals and not look at people as the collective. One of my friends, (laughs) one of the other black guys in my neighborhood, we were having a conversation the other day at lunch and said, you know what, in some cases, because he's had the same thing I've had. I've had people come to me straight up. And say, I just don't understand. Why can't it? Look at you. You're doing great. Why can't everybody be you? Everybody's not me. 
We just have to work on that kind of stuff. And yeah. we have to work on ourselves. It's very, very individual as much as it is collective. Um, yeah, I think it's... Look at the individual, not the collective. I, I think it's... As someone who's not a big fan of Donald Trump being the president of the United States, I think it's very unfortunate for everyone who voted for Trump, or maybe it's the Republican Party, or maybe they voted for Pence, or maybe, whatever they voted for, and they end up Trump being president because of their vote, um, to say that everyone who supported that candidacy is a racist. Like, that's, just, that's not oh, fair. That's terrible. Yeah. Because it's just not so. There are some people that absolutely just did not want Hillary Clinton because of... The history, her husband yeah. just did not want her. Yeah. But the outcome is what we got. Now, I'm not one of these naive people. So I looked at Trump and I looked at Hillary Clinton and I'll say this, whichever one won. And I'm, I'm always looking at neighborhoods like I grew up in, mm -hmm. not necessarily the neighborhood I live in. Yeah. Either one of them won. I really didn't expect the hood to get better. Yeah. I mean, there's so a, that kind of tells you the maybe the apathy that I had toward the election to begin with. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect the hood to get better, regardless of who won. Well, there's a reason you would see Hillary Clinton at, at one of Trump's marriages or at one of his weddings, not at someone's wedding from Oakland, where you're from. Right. I mean, there's a different circle they're running in. Um, um, I feel like we covered everything. Did we solve everything? I think we solved it, man. Yeah. I, and, and man, you know what? You do a great job. I want to say that. I want to say it while we're still here. <laughs> no, because you, you attack some real conversations, and I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think a lot of people have an appreciation for it. I'm sure some don't. Uh, there are a lot of people that are still about status quo. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a critical patriot, just like I'm a critical Christian. Hmm. So I, I love this country. Um, I was taught by my father and grandfather. My grandfather had brothers lynched by the Klan in South Carolina. But he always said... But America's a place where you can change a lot. If you're willing to work hard, you're willing to be nice to people, you can change a lot in life. And that's just not true at most places. So I Hold love on. this country. Your grandfather was positive about America, even yes. though his brothers were killed by the Klan. Okay, let me, let me tell you the story. I was, uh, I was moving to Washington, D.C. to go to school and to work for Janet Reno at the Department of Justice. And she's a brilliant woman. Drove through North Carolina. My grandfather, third grade education. And he got some land late in his life from the, when the sharecropper died that he worked for. The, my, the lot of land my dad grew up on. Mm -hmm. He got some land late. And it was like two acres. But he was early 90s, 91, 92, and would still have on his overalls. He had, this is what he wore to church. He wore the same overalls to church. But on Sunday, he had Sunday dentures. Teeth were way too big for his mouth. <laughs> and he wore a suit jacket over the overalls. So common folk yeah. in the country in North Carolina. But um, I'm moving north yeah. to, to D.C. And I stopped, by his, I stopped by his house on my way up there to see him and Miss Isla May. My, my grandmother died, his second wife of 20 or so years. But um, he sees me immediately and starts crying. He is crying. Hmm. And he is like, I can't believe it. My baby going to work for the president. Because the hmm. way he looked at it. Janet Reno was a presidential appointee. Sean's going to work for her. That's my baby. But that's the way he looked at America. Yeah. So I always say, I'm a critical patriot. I just, 
I love America, but I love it enough where I'm always going to criticize it and be judgmental and work my tail off to make it better. Yeah. I think I'm the same way about church. I think uh, organized religion, faith groups, churches, um, we got to do a lot better. Mm-hmm. And the only thing we can do is push to be better and to be more like Christ, to love people like Christ, to be less judgmental, mm-hmm. but hold to your ground like Christ. I think we need to be doing more of that. So yeah. I'm probably critical in a lot of those areas, but it doesn't subtract my love. I love this country yeah. and I love the faith. I mean, there's a reason that the prophets, the, the ones who criticize religion, made it into our sacred text. We have specific books written by the people who are criticizing the flaws of religion and we call them prophets. Like right. we major prophets, like there's even a delegation of the major ones because that's part of our religion is that we need to continue to get better and... It's right on. Your uh, your grandfather's story reminded me of LT's Hall of Fame speech. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that great? It was, you know, it's funny is I'm listening to that speech and I knew how it was going to be attacked in public, mm-hmm. but I know his intentions because I know him, but... Careful, names are dropping. I think, whatever. <laughs> I think he has a, that dude has a heart of gold and he has tried to take every lemon in his life and make lemonade. Mm-hmm. And that's what he meant about pulling people together. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That's good, man. Well, thanks for the time, Sean. Thank you, sir. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>